The vast majority of good music teachers will recommend that you practice slowly, but do you really understand what that means? Because it might not be what you think of just going in slow motion. We're going to talk about what it actually is next. Hello and welcome to the Musician Toolkit episode number 60. My name is David Lane and it is great to be with you once again. I literally just got back from Atlanta and I'm sitting down to record this. Uh, it was actually one of the most pleasant drives I've had from Atlanta. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. You know, good weather, no traffic jams, everything just flowing smoothly. It's amazing. Getting out to stop often enough that I didn't feel cramped sitting down the whole time and, uh, you know, have some energy. And plus, I know that this podcast won't be very long. We're going to be talking about a single topic. So I, I really think this will probably be a very, a very short podcast, at least as far as the meat of it. Anyways, I was in Atlanta for the same reason that I was in upstate New York back in September. I'm the arranger and music director for a musical in prog progress, actually a few musicals in progress with a writing team. And this particular musical is called After Before. And we did it at the Atlanta Institute of Musical Theater. It's kind of a new venue in the Breckenridge area that would like to help sponsor the development of new musicals. And this was the very first musical that they had sponsored to have a workshop. We did basically five days of rehearsing with a performance at the end of the fifth day. So that went really well. I did get to chat with Melissa Slocum over breakfast and uh, she she was the guest of the previous episode and, and we, we recorded our interview in advance and we were able to make time to meet up while I was in her area and so that was great. I want to read an email that was sent to me regarding episode 58 which was my podcast all about the circle of fifths. This message is for Matt. It says, great show. I knew most of the stuff covered, but having it explained all in one session and how it actually all related was pretty interesting. Uh, then he told me about uh, one of the tools that he was using, and I haven't, haven't checked it out, so I won't mention that part. But the other thing that he mentioned was a mnemonic for the order of sharps, because I mentioned several, uh, was one that he heard from someone else, and that was Father Christmas Got Drunk and Enjoys Beer. Again, that's for F-C-G-D-A-E-B. So anyways, Matt, thank you for listening, and thank you for reaching out and just sharing that. And uh, the tool that he mentioned, I'm, I'll check it out. If, if, if I like it myself, I will I'll happen to mention it. But, you know, far be it for me to uh, discount any tool that helps you with music while I'm hosting a podcast called The Musician Toolkit. So if you're still listening, that means that the introduction that I gave at the very beginning of this episode didn't turn you off. So thank you so much for that. I did want to make a point at the beginning. Today's episode is about a single practice tip, and it's just elaborating on it a little bit. Chances are you've had at least one music teacher in your life if you've had at least one music teacher who has said something to you like, you should really slow that down. <laughs> slow practice would be good for you. So there's two types of slow practice. The one that I would say that I don't normally recommend, in fact, just a few days ago, I was 
intending to come on this podcast to tell you that you never should use this method. But again, my my breakfast with episode 59 guest, Melissa Slocum, I talked about this episode that I was going to record and she offered a very good exception to this rule. So, so hang on to this. I'm going to tell you about it. And then at the end of this episode, I will tell you where I think this is helpful. But for the most part, this is the way that I think a lot of people think about slow practice. That is not necessarily a good idea. So if you think about your slow practice as simply being a slow motion version of everything you intend to do up to speed, I generally think that this is not very effective. So just because it's very familiar to me, I'm going to use the piano as an example. And I'm just going to talk about, uh, for example, maybe a two octave scale going up and down. We'll just say, you know, a C major scale going up and down. So let's assume that you have a goal of playing this scale with a 16th note rhythm and the quarter note equaling 100 beats per minute. Well, it's very tempting if you can currently do that at, say, 68 beats per minute to just put that on the metronome and then move it up to 72 and then, you know, 76, or if you want to go up by fives or six or whatever until you eventually get to 100. It sounds really good on paper, but one of the shortcomings of doing this is that you might find yourself relaxing at that slower tempo. So one true type of slow practice is to turn off the metronome and go super slow. The C's together, and then go to the D, and then go to the E, and you just keep on going, and you're, you're paying attention to things like your fingering. Um, you know, for, for pianists, I would say, you know, it's really helpful to think about the fingering angle. You know, make sure that you're in the center of each key. And then you want to notice things like your wrist height and your arm direction. Like, are you leaning into the way that you're heading? Are you anticipating the next note? So now you can do all of this in what you would consider super slow motion. So it may be like a third, a fourth, or a fifth the speed of your normal tempo. And what you want to look at is what you are doing in between the notes that you're playing. If you find yourself like leisurely going from one note to the next because it's slow and because you have time, this is a type of slow motion practice. Or let's say that you're practicing something slowly. Here's an actual example with a metronome. Let's say it's something like Mozart and you have a sustained trill. And let's say that the trills, you know, you you have a really fast quarter note just going one, two, three, four, one, two. And you're trying to do a trill that's going to sound like a 16th note speed, like a one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a, you know, something that's pretty fast and, and controlled. And you have to hold that out for a while. But you're practicing at a speed where you're going one, two, three, four, and your trill sounds like one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a. Well, there's a school of thought out there that actually says you should not slow down your ornaments. So your trills are already full speed or getting there as soon as you can, no matter what your tempo is. And that's kind of leaning into the other type of slow practice which is actually what I call pause-play practice, or play-pause, if you prefer. In this type of practice, you're either practicing at a very free, very slow tempo, almost 
arrhythmically, like each note has a fermata on it and it doesn't really matter what the tempo is. Or you can have a metronome on a very slow tempo. But what you're doing is you're acting like you're up to speed, except someone keeps pressing pause. So like you play the C and then you go to the D like you're trying to go there as fast as you can. So you're looking at your wrist movements, you're looking at how explosively you move from one key to the next and you want to go really as fast as you can, but then stop. And now while you are stopped, this is where you take time to not move, but to think about a couple of things. So first of all, you want to look at how you landed. Did you land in a position on that note where it's going to be clean every time you play it that way? Is your arm also positioned, this is the other thing, is it positioned in a way that you're ready for the next note? If neither of those two things look good, then you want to back up and try it again. But the idea is that you move quickly. Let's say that you're practicing jumping octaves. That's a leap. So slow motion practice, as if someone took a video and then put it in slow motion, if you're jumping octaves regular speed and then you slow it down, it's going to look like your arm is just kind of slowly floating from one octave to the next. But in pause play practice, you should practice exploding from one octave to the next. Now maybe you think about the arm motion that you need to do that if you're on the piano. But it's full speed. So if you're a violinist, violist, cellist, bassist, it's a full bow. It's a full, a full speed bow. If you're playing a brass instrument or a woodwind, it's changing fingers explosively. Like if you've got to change your finger combination, it's not taking advantage of the extra time you have and just leisurely changing your fingerings. It's like when I talk about playing chords, it's not putting one note down, then the other note down, then the top note down. It's finding it all at once. So here's the thing with pause play practice. The tempo is slower. That is to say, how quickly you are moving through the music from beat to beat is way slower than it's supposed to be. But you want to strive to make everything else up to tempo or beyond so maybe even faster than you really need it right away so that is to think of shifting from one position to another so again if you're playing strings and you're thinking about your left hand moving from one position to another doing that as quickly as you can and if that didn't go well repeat that step so if you're playing scales while you're paused on a note you're thinking about what's the next one or even two moves I have to make so and that's a good idea but so that means that the next move you make will put you in position to make the move after that and when you're ready when you when you're feeling confident it's like someone press play and you go and as soon as you land they press pause and then just take a moment analyze how things went if that went okay and you're in position think about the next two moves you're gonna make and what that will lead you to do so I'm just going to call this out because I think everybody should have at least a basic understanding of a one octave scale for piano with the right hand. So um, very quick lesson if you've never done this. Uh, you start on C and you're going to go up the scale D, E, F, G, A, B, C. And if you'll just take your right hand and you put your thumb on C, you'll put your second finger on D, your third finger on E, and then you're going to 
have lifted your wrist just enough to allow the thumb to come under the hand slightly and then shift the position so that your thumb is now on F and you simply from that point on where you just go G A B C with with the rest of your fingers in order. So we just let's just take that much. Okay. So the type of slow practice I'm recommending, you're going to, going to play each one slowly, but let's just say that you play the thumb and you want to think about the thumb is a finger that for a pianist it works out better if your wrist is a little lower than normal. So you kind of allow your wrist, your your forearm to go kind of parallel to the keys, very flat. But as you go away from the thumb, you want to think about your wrist raising. So now you quickly play the two, but you know that when you do, you want to think about your thumb coming right behind it and that your wrist raises slightly. So doing that kind of angles your hand in the direction that you're wanting to go. Okay, now here's a pivotal moment here. If you're holding on to the D, you've lifted your wrist slightly. You're holding on to the D with your second finger. You've, list, you've lifted your wrist slightly. Your thumb is right behind your two. You have to think about what's the next thing that should happen. You're going to put your third finger on the E, lift up your wrist a little more, try to get your thumb right behind the thumb. And you want to feel like you're just kind of pulling in the direction of the F. So you're on the D. When you play the E, you should see several things. You should see your wrist a little higher, the three in the center of the E, your arm kind of pulling ahead like it's about to come off of that E, the thumb right behind the three, and then what's going to happen next? If that's looking good, you're going to shift. You're going to allow your thumb to drop on the F, allow the wrist to fall like it likes to do with the thumb down to the level of the key, but you also have snapped your two, three, and four at a minimum ready to play GAB. So let's go over that again. You're playing two on D, or sorry, you're playing three on E. You have your thumb behind, which means, you know, while you're playing the E, your two could go right back to the D. It hasn't moved yet. It's really not feasible to think that you're going to get your two in place while you're holding on to the E to go on upward of the scale. It, you're, the rest of your hand is waiting for what your thumb is going to do. So your thumb drops on the F, your wrist has flattened, and immediately your two, three, and four fingers have found G-A-B. Now, the reason it doesn't really matter where your five goes is, be, is because it has time to catch up, but also you, this is what you would do if you're doing a two, three, or four octave scale. You're thinking about you, you're going to get the thumb ready to go in place. So you can do this with slow motion practice, but with the pause play practice, what's happening is that you are exploding into those shifts. Your wrist is is going down or up, depending on the situation, quickly. And your fingers are snapping in place. Like when you go from that E with the three, and then you put your thumb on the F, you should feel like your two, three, four just snapped in place. Slow practice would have you just easily find it, but... When you're working on your scales, you want to think about snapping into the next position. So generally when you're when you're doing a pause play practice, your your arm motions, your wrist motions, uh, jumping octaves, these things should happen fully up to speed. And you may even find it helpful to maybe kind of exaggerate the motions. Like if you have to lift your wrist, lift it a little more, 
but that may that may not be necessary especially as you're trying to work on just the explosiveness of those movements ornamentation like trills grace notes all should be up to speed also if you're practicing music think about playing let's just say that you have something like uh, I'm just kind of sticking with Mozart I'm a big fan of the uh, Kershaw 332 F major sonata and it has a right hand pattern like this it starts on a C Well, one way you might learn that is to take a long, short pattern where the first notes you hold it and then you go quickly past the second and then stop on the third. So while you're holding on to that C, you're thinking about quickly going to the B and back to the C, up quickly to the F and back to the C, quickly to the B flat and to the A. And so you want it, while you're holding on to these long notes, you want to think about what are the next two notes you're going to do. And of course, you can reverse that. You can start really quickly on the first note land on the second and then you're thinking about the next two notes you're going to be playing if that went well you're going to think about the next two notes you're going to be playing and then so on and you could do this with three notes at a time four notes at a time the notes that are quick are up to speed the notes that are longer it's like you have fermatas but let everything freeze don't be moving don't it's like time has stood still except for your mind your mind is able to think about what is coming next so what's happening is you are you're going to feel like you're really rushing because of the contrast of speed to go from one note to the next to move from one position to the next but what's going to happen is as the tempo speeds up and you get more comfortable you're going to find that this other motion you're doing with your wrist with your with your jumping your movements uh, in between the notes it's going to even out and it's going to actually start to feel more relaxed so that when I play a full passage like the Mozart it's not only up, up to tempo it's not only accurate but it feels actually pretty easy and by easy I just I, I, I don't mean you know that it's an easy passage I mean that the movements have a sense of ease to them and also because we're practicing slowly and carefully you're going to increase your odds of being accurate a lot of times if you're if you're a pianist for example and you're sometimes missing some notes you can correct that with slow practice and just checking as pause every other note and just take a look at your hand is it in place to go on correctly is your finger in alignment is your wrist in alignment but don't think about doing this in slow motion think about doing it explosively kinetically but you just keep pausing okay so the suggestion that my friend melissa offered as an ex as a as an exception is one uh, that she got from her own teacher with a specific type of alexander technique that she's working on and it was just this if you're learning a brand new technique like i did this in college when i had to really learn how to do a side-to-side -side wrist rotation that i hadn't really been doing before it's good to just slow down and relax into it and just focus on the movement itself. So it's, uh, you know, so if you are learning something that's completely new, it's not just you're trying to learn a, a scale, you're not just trying to learn repertoire on an instrument that you otherwise know pretty well, but you're trying to actually learn a new technique. True slow motion where everything is proportionally slow, slower than it's supposed to be. Is something that you could you can try but I would still say that for most of the things that you want to improve slow motion is the way to go 
but try thinking more of pause and play up with the play being up to tempo rather than trying to do a true slow motion practice. So if you found this tip helpful or if you completely disagree with this, I would be happy for you to let me know that. And you can let me know that with your voice at speakpipe.com slash musician toolkit or you can as Matt did to start the episode, leave me a message. He did that through davidlanemusic.com slash contact. You can also reach out on Instagram at David Lane Music, at Facebook at David M. Lane Music. I'm also on TikTok at David Lane Music, but I don't know that that's a good place for leaving messages, but I guess you can. Anyways, that is going to wrap up today's episode. If you got any value out of this at all, or, or you listened to this and you thought, well, I know all that, but I know someone else who could benefit from this please share this it means so much when you share these episodes with your friends with your family and if you have a private studio of any kind i would highly encourage you to check out fonds which can really help you with your booking your scheduling and also receiving payments just can take a lot of stress out of and a lot of time that you you will save out of that side of your business and you can use the link in my show notes for a free trial Again, that's going to wrap up episode 60. I'll be back again with you next week. Until then, thank you so much for listening.